0: Welcome to God Is Open. I'm your host Christopher Fisher. Today on God Is Open, we are back with our friend Ethan, Ethan, Ethan Welch, and his sermon. God is all knowing. The thing I like about this sermon is this guy gets it. This guy gets understands. He understands classical theology, and that's that's straight what he's preaching here. And uh, um not not too much Bible. And the Bible he does use seems to be a little bit misused, but he does understand the actual tenets, the classical doctrine of God's omniscience. So in our last podcast, we covered him saying all sorts of things like uh, God doesn't uh, learn through seeing and God doesn't learn through outside of himself. Those types of ideas he needs to reject. But the Bible it's funny, when we turn to the Bible, the Bible talks quite differently about God. I remember when I was talking to that Brother Mike guy on that one podcast, and uh, uh, the, the point was brought up that God tests to know, right? That God tests to know, and the, and br- Brother Mike, he said, no, uh, there, there's no, no verses for that. And so we turn to Deuteronomy 8.2, and it says this, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So so notice that phrase. It says that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart. So the claim that God tests to know, there's a phrase that says, testing you to know, it's in the Bible, so we said something. The Bible says the exact same phrase, and uh, that Mike guy was like, "Oh no, we need a we need to look at context." There, there's still no verses in his mind that describes God testing to know. Even though the exact wording, the exact phrase is in the Bible, it's still it's still outside the realm of possibility in his mind. So God tests to know in Deuteronomy eight two. What's interesting to me is that. I'm I'm not sure exactly where this is referencing. So this is Moses and he's recounting what God was doing with this 40 years in the wilderness and you if you turn back to those passages uh, it, you you might be able to piece this together gradually but there's no direct reference which which that tells us that this this account of what was happening there you know you, you could piece together you could string together God's motivations for doing various things throughout the Bible. Uh, He has motivations. He's testing to know, even though it's not necessarily explicit. So if Moses is able to do this, if he's able to string this together and and, uh, piece this information together out, maybe he had direct communication with God, something like that. Uh, But we should be able to do that too. So if God's doing something and if God's saying something and or proclaiming something, we could read into it. We could say, oh, God is prophesying that he's going to destroy this people group. Uh, God prophesies. Jesus says that Judas is going to deny him three times. May, maybe maybe that's a warning. Maybe, maybe one of the intents of that is to get Judas to turn away. What would happen if Jesus said, uh, Judas, you're going to deny me three times? And then Judas is like, oh, I don't want to do that and then decides not to. Is there going to be a celebration in heaven or is everyone in heaven going to break into convulsions because some sort of quote-unquote prophecy was undone? What, what would probably happen? Probably happen is that, uh, that it'd be like ex post facto. Yeah, this was a test. You, you have passed the test. You could read into motivations. You, you shouldn't be reading the Bible in such a way that the only things you come away with is what the text explicitly says that this doesn't mean that you could just override explicit statements of the text. We need to be careful about that, but you, you could use your common sense judgment to figure out motivations of characters in the text without it, e- without it even being explicit. So let's also go real quick. Uh, this guy, uh, Ethan, he says that God doesn't get learn any information from outside himself. It's all uh, ungenerated, eternal uh, knowledge from all time. It, it never arises in God. It's not discursive. He doesn't think one thing and then think another. But let's go to just, just this uh, random all about God. God is omniscient proof texts. So these are proof texts for omniscience that are in the Bible. And you, you can just find any random list of proof texts for omniscience and just read through them and see what they're describing. Always think to yourself, what is the mechanism? How? How does God know what's being described in these omniscience proof texts? Right? Because often, often it'll tell you. And Ethan doesn't think that God learns from outside himself, but pretty much All of his proof texts say the opposite. So let's just kind of read through some of these. Isaiah 46, 9, says, Remember the former things from long ago, I am God, there's no other, I am God, there's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what still is to come. I say, my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So how does God know the future? He's going to do it. So God knows because God does. In the verse scrolling down. Some of these are just knowledge claims. God has all knowledge, which it doesn't address the how, right? So that that's critical. We can't just assume if it doesn't tell us how, that there is no how. It's ungenerated. So if I say, I know that you're angry at me and my wife, uh, she doesn't, uh, her, her instant reaction is not oh, that must be ungenerated, eternal knowledge, and you didn't get that from anywhere. No, the mechanism, you could kind of assume the mechanism based on what you know about me. I know things based on perceptions I have, based on my experience with people. So let's turn now to Psalms 139.4. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Well, how? There's another proof text also coming from Psalms 139. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and know me. So God searches to know. He, he's getting information from outside himself. It's not eternal and ungenerated, anything like that. In Psalms 139, again, Psalms 139 is their proof text. They, they think this is their proof text for eternal, ungenerated knowledge, uh, self-generated and and uh, non-discursive, all, all those things. And it says this, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together, my frame's not hidden from you. God sees it. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. So God has seen this thing happen. All, all the days, and, and John Calvin's translation is better. It's like all the body parts uh, ordained for me when they're written in your book. It's a fetology development of the baby in the womb type of book. This is a fetology book. Uh, on On day seven, the baby has XYZ characteristics, stuff like that. That's the idea going on here. But watch Watch how King David talks about God. We all already saw from verse 1, you have searched me and known me. In uh, verses 15-16, my frame is not hidden from you. You see my frame? Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Scrolling down to Psalms 147, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So he determines the number of stars. That sounds discursive to me. So let's say he creates all the stars. I don't know if that's what it's going for or if he's counting. Is this a counting verse that God counts the number of stars and calls them each by name? Now, very possible that that's what could be going on here. Still, it's discursive. It's knowledge from senses outside of God. It's not eternally ungenerated knowledge. Let's get up our little little phrase. We'll we'll start using our phrase more often. It's not ungenerated, non-discursive, eternal, and unfalsifiable knowledge. It's not the type of knowledge that's being described here. So let's uh, look down here. Psalms 33. From the heaven, the Lord looks down and sees all of mankind. This is an proof text. God sees to know. Uh, This is not exclusive to the Old Testament. Let's look at some of these New Testament verses. Hebrews 4.13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. God sees to know. This is this is the normal normative language about how God knows things in the Bible. God knows things because He does things, plans things. God knows because He tests. God gains knowledge from visual, uh, visually. God hears things in the Bible. God hears prayers. When reading the Bible, we need to be very aware. Of the language that's being used, and uh, how those, how the language that's being used, how they press against our assumptions, how they fight against our assumptions, and we can't just assume away the language. Oh, this language doesn't mean what it says. Uh, God still has His eternal, ungenerated, non-discursive, unfalsifiable knowledge of all things from time eternal. Uh, we can't just assume that into these verses. The verses are saying the opposite. Luke. 12, seven. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are numbered. They're counted. They're counted. God counts. God looks down and he counts the number of hairs on your head. That's what I'm reading here. And so this guy, uh, he has a different idea of God's knowledge. God does not gain knowledge from outside himself. We will let Ethan continue on, but just keep in mind, the whole Bible screams against this. Every time that the Bible talks about how God knows what he knows, it's not like this eternal ungenerated non-discursive knowledge. You do not find that it is nowhere in the Bible. Nowhere even assumes that this is philosophy, Greek philosophy, uh, it, from from the likes of uh Plotinus, and uh, Philo of Alexandria, and ultimately from the pages of Plato.
1: His knowledge is completely different in the sense of he doesn't rely on external information to have knowledge. He already has every bit of knowledge that he needs innately inside himself without anything outside of himself.
0: Right. So all the verses that we just read, the, the standard proof texts for omniscience, you just type in omniscience, proof text, Bible. The standard proof texts, do any of them describe this? Or is he just have he has his own philosophy, it doesn't matter
1: what the bible says that's That's what 's going on here so he already has it from within his knowledge is not reliant on external observation. His knowledge is not arrived at as a result of processing and reasoning things.
0: see there's the discursive, and so if God determines something, if God declares something. Those are discursive acts. So God thinks about what's going to happen and then says what's going to happen and declares it out. There, There's a process, a mental process that's implicit in God's actions throughout the Bible, even declarations. In Isaiah, their number one proof text that they go to, God declares. That's discursive. This is a complete violation of what this guy's saying here. His theology is not biblical. It's not from the Bible. It's... it. You could probably divorce this from Christianity. If you had him just talking about this stuff on his own, you could probably just post it up and say Platonism, and no one would know any difference because he's not referencing the Bible for any of these ideas. These are free-floating from the Bible without an anchor point in the scriptures.
1: He already has every piece of knowledge that could ever be gained. You could say it this way. God doesn't piecemeal things together. God doesn't have, like, um, He doesn't have to gather information, put things together. Okay, this, this happened in, in Haiti, and this happened in Syria, and this, this, this happened in North Korea. And so So the Exodus 32 narrative
0: completely, completely debunks this in which Moses convinces God, God repents of what God says that God's going to do based on a series, a cascading list of arguments that's put together by Moses. This proves discursive reasoning that God doesn't have all information from all eternity at the forefront of his head. Even some open theists are gonna say that that God has all must have all information eternally at the forefront of his mind. Uh, That's that's their idea of omniscience. God can't have discursive reasoning in some open theist systematic theologies. But but the text is explicitly against this where God listens to people's reasons, considers their reasons, and changes his mind for those reasons the text says explicitly those are the reasons that God changed his mind for and future commentators biblical commentators in the bible in ezekiel in psalms and deuteronomy recount this event Describing exactly what we just said, that God changed his mind because he listened and accepted the arguments of Moses. Moses changed God's mind. And how did he do that? With arguments that were persuasive. God has discursive reasoning in the Bible. This, this whole thing that God doesn't have discursive reasoning, this is not not generated from the Bible whatsoever. You're not going to see them quote proof texts uh, to support this. They'll, they'll quote something like oh, God's understanding is infinite, but they'll just assume their categories onto those words. They'll assume those words mean what they want them to mean rather than normal language, normal hyperbole, the, the amount of grain that Joseph collected was quote-unquote infinite. It's the same language used in, in both verses. And so it's, it's a real stretch. It's a real
1: stretch to grab
0: any supporting verses for this theology.
1: So, um, hey, angels, could we get a committee? Hey, could we get a committee over here and <laughs> help me out?
0: Oh, there's a committee. There's definitely a committee. In First Kings 22, God crowdsources ideas about how to kill King Ahab. And the different angels present different ideas and God's sitting there deliberating. And one angel he presents the idea that, oh, we're going to lie to all these prophets and we're going to get them to falsely prophesy victory in the war. And then he's going to go to war. And God said, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So this committee committee that he's he's, he's poo-pooing on, he's, he's uh, you know, oh, this is so ridiculous. God gets together a group of angels. This is the divine council. Uh, this is ancient Semitic literature we're looking at. They 100% believed in a divine council. Famous scenes such as Job 1 and 2, when the sons of God present themselves before Yahweh. And in Daniel, when he he gets taken up to the throne room. In Isaiah, when the same thing happens, the angels are around God and God said, "Who, Who is going to go out and be my advocate? And Isaiah steps up. These things happen. They're described in the Bible. Uh, He is presenting things that actually legitimately, literally happen in the Bible. He's presenting them like they're ridiculous ideas. So, great disservice to the Bible. I don't don't think there's any self reflection. Is he familiar with divine counsel literature? Is this his way of uh, responding to it without actually having to respond with the actual arguments? Just by. uh, what is that? Derision. Derision. If if he derides something, uh, then we definitely shouldn't believe it because it's a laughable, mockable view that you don't actually have to respond to.
1: Help me out real quick. What are we going to do about this situation and this situ- It and happens. Gonna- it's uh, in he's the Bible. Been in a state of where he had to piecemeal things together to try to figure things. Exodus thirty-two. Out. His his knowledge. It's just it's completely immediate and internal from within himself. He actually knows everything that has ever been or ever will be. Uh, John would say the same thing in 1 John 3, verse 20. He would say this, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything.
0: I, I love this verse because I always recount my Matt Slick experience. Oh, it was so funny. It was after the Will Duffy debate. I'm sitting with him and my sister and Jason Troyer, and we're, we're talking about omniscience. And he uses this as a proof text. And, and Matt Slick, he's sitting there, he says, oh, 1 John 3, Uh, it says God's greater than our hearts and knows all things. And I said, well, well, first John two 20 man knows all things. And Matt slick, he he pauses for a second. Like he's, he's trying to, uh, internally figure out what's going on here. So we turn back there and sure enough, it says that you have anointing of the Holy spirit and you know, all things. And, uh, uh, he gets real frantic and we're not sitting next to his computer. And so he has a physical Bible in his hand and that's, that's not good enough for him. So he, he runs over to his uh, little laptop and he starts banging away. And I'm, I, I stay still. I'm not going to walk with him or anything. So I, I'm just sitting there and he's yelling out over to me, it's not in this version. It's not in this version. And I said, well, it's, it's in the Byzantine text. And, uh, he, he had no idea what this was. Uh, we, we learned from this debate. He has no idea anything about Greek. I asked him the morphology, if, if, uh, the difference between a passive and the middle, the, what, how the word would look differently. How, how the word would be formed differently between a passive and a middle in, in regards to his Acts 13 proof text that uh, God ordains people to believe or something like that. And uh, Will Duffy's argument, and my argument, is that it's middle. The people or are ordaining themselves. And he wasn't able to answer a simple question about what that word would look like if it was middle. He was claiming it was passive. He, he didn't know. He doesn't know Greek. He didn't know what the Byzantine text was. This is a major... A major thing. This is people who know the Bible know what the Byzantine text is. They know what the majority text is. They know it like the Texas Receptus is. Uh, it's just basic Bible knowledge. And Maslick didn't have it. Uh, maybe he forgot. Maybe he had like, I don't know, one of those moments where there's like a brain fart or something. But. It was really funny to me. And so the next day he comes back. He didn't know how to respond to that. Uh, the, The people in the Bible, Christians, are described as knowing all things in the exact context by the same author, just one chapter previously, the same verse, one chapter previously. It just, it totally destroys what he's trying to go for. What he's trying to do is he's trying to turn to these proof texts that Absolutely don't say anything about his theology. He's going to read those out and then he's going to expound on it. All this nonsense that's not in the verse that you can't, you can't uh, derive it from the verse. There's, there's nothing inherent in the verse that means it. And that's why it's so funny to point out these parallel texts that are about mankind that say the exact same thing. It's not saying that his proof texts, there's no possible way that this proof text could mean the things you're saying but it should not be our default assumption. This is not a proof text. If your proof text has alternative meanings, alternative meanings that uh, your your own author uses in the very same context for other things, that, that should be our default. Uh, if your proof text doesn't prove your point, It's not a proof text anymore. You're grasping at straws. He does not have proof text. So he'll throw these things out that he says are proof texts. They're not proof texts because they don't say what he's trying to make them say. There's nothing in the verse that says it. You could just quote any random verse. Uh, First Corinthians 1, 7, uh, that's my proof text. You can turn there. It has nothing to do with anything, right? And so is is that the game we're playing that we could just throw out random chapters and verses and just claim it's our theology without anything in the verse that means it? That's what he's doing. And he's uh, he's doing it with emotional flair. He's doing it with derision on beliefs that might be alternative
1: readings of this verse. This is this is how he does theology. I'm going to hit play. Like he already knows everything. Hebrews 4.13 And no creature is hidden from his sight, from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him uh, to whom we must give an account. Which means God, there is nothing that is ever hidden from God. There is nothing that is ever a secret from God. God always has the ability to see and to know everything, whether it is in the center of an atom, um, or whether it is in the center of your mind and nothing is hidden from God. He knows all things. His knowledge is...
0: A few things to talk about with this verse. Of course, this verse is a visual omniscience that God gains information from watching. it. In the ancient mind, uh, a visual omniscience could be blocked. And so that's why we have the scene... In Ezekiel, in which God proves to Ezekiel that he can see the people doing things in shadows. We have the statements in Job that God can see through the clouds because in the ancient mindset, Vision could be blocked. And so the author of Hebrews, it's its not explicit what he's trying to claim, that uh, God can see into the center of an atom. The same language could easily be used of individuals like, for example, the Prince of Tyre. And he's said to know all secrets, right? He knows all secrets. Does that mean that there's nothing that could be hidden from him ever? No, it's, it's kind of hyperbole. And so you have to always ask the question is, how is the author using this phrase? What in context would point it to one meaning over another? Does the author have in mind a general omniscience, a general knowledge of all things, or specific details of the workings of inner atoms? I I don't think that the author is even conceptualizing that this statement is supposed to apply to the inner workings of atoms. I, I just don't think that's in their mindset. I don't think that's what they're going for. I think it's a massive assumption on the text. Not not saying that if you sat the author of Hebrews down and explained all the different concepts that he might not agree with that God could see in the center of an atom or something like that. I'm not saying that that's not a possibility, but I just think that this statement is being overly utilized to prove things that are not inherent in the statement as edwin hatch writes that we tend to make inverted pyramids on various chance phrases there's a chance phrase we read super into it we make it mean all sorts of things that is not inherent in the text and so hebrews god watches the world this is a fairly common concept in ancient israel and it's contrary, it's counter to everything he's been telling us so far. His proof text for God's omniscience in Hebrews, which is the New Testament, counters his conception of omniscience. God watches to know. He gains information from outside himself. Uh, he has his visual. He has visual uh, accountability of all things.
1: In Hebrews, Hebrews. Completely distinct in its nature. I love the way that A.W. Tozer, the old theologian and pastor, said it. This is a mouthful. God knows instantly and effortlessly all matter and all matters, all mind and every mind, all spirit and all spirits, all being and every being, all creaturehood and all creatures. So where are these quote-unquote theologians getting these
0: definitions? It's not from the Bible. You need to stop and wonder where does this stuff come from? It comes from Platonism. These are Platonistic concepts. These are Platonistic categories. These are Platonistic values. You will not find these values in the Bible. They are coming from Platonism. Look to see if Paul talks about this, talks like this. Look to see if uh, Isaiah talks like this. Look to see if King David talks like this. No one who wrote the Bible or had anything to do with the Bible wrote like this. Do you know who did write like this? Philo of Alexandria a neoplatonist what, what, what a, maybe, maybe a middle Platonist, uh, but uh, he's practically practically a neoplatonist that God is outside of time and unchanging and eternally simple and ineffable these ideas this is how Philo of Alexandria talked it's not how anyone in the Bible talked you, you're not you're not getting these concepts from the Bible so you have to stop and wonder where are these coming from who? determine these things? Who first said these things? Where did they get incorporated into the Christian church? How did they get incorporated into the Christian church? Where is this stuff coming from? It is not
1: the Bible. Every plurality and all pluralities, all law and every law, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, all mysteries, all enigmas, all feeling, all desires, every unuttered secret, all thrones and dominions, all personalities, all things visible and invisible in heaven and in earth, motion, space, time, life, death, good, evil, heaven, and hell. God already knows it all. He are- it's like people are making up
0: their own religion. This is not biblical Christianity. They're just making up things that they want to believe. It sounds good. You, you say it with such passion, you want to believe it. You want your audience to believe it. It's just not in the Bible. It's just not there.
1: He already knows it all. His knowledge is distinct in its nature. And then here's the last one, number three. The knowledge of God is distinct in its extent or its scope, the scope of God's knowledge or the, the breadth of God's knowledge, the, the end of God's uh, knowledge, the size of God's knowledge. You could say it this way. God's knowledge is unlimited. It's unlimited. It's all comprehensive. He is fully aware of of all things actual as well as all things possible, which means this afternoon when you leave here and you go to eat lunch, you have a various assortment of options in which you could eat lunch. But do you? Do you? God knows all things
0: eternally, ungenerated, from not outside himself. Do I have an option to not eat whatever I'm going to eat for lunch? Is, Is that truly an option? I posted a little clip on uh I was like soteri- soteriology 101 and it stated that uh if something has a 0% possibility it is impossible there's no possibility of it happening. if something has a 0% probability there's no possibility of it happening this is a very innocent phrase it uh, anyone with any basic amount of common sense should be able to be say- saying yeah, that's true. If something has 0% chance of happening, it's impossible. And one of the comments, they're all, they're all these people, they all went off on it. None of them want to actually address what was actually being said because they all want to think that something with 0% probability is a possibility. Something can be possible with no chance that it would ever happen in, in any scenario. And so one, one comment was really funny. He said, the only people that believe this, are open theists the only people with the basic amount of common sense uh, uh, stating factual things that are that are pretty straightforward? The only people who do that are open theists. Ah, that was pretty funny. If something has zero percent probability of happening, there's no possibility of it happening. This this should not be a divisive statement. This should not be something that's contentious. Anyone anyone should be able to look at those things and say yeah, that's true something with zero percent possibility is impossible And so he thinks that there's a possibility I could eat something different for lunch than than what whatever God eternally knew ungenerated in his mind from time eternal in which situation would that play out? There's no situation in which that can play out. This has all been set from time eternal. No other possibility exists. So he just wants to pretend there's a possibility. Here, here's a good way to visualize what he wants to do. You have a 20-sided dice. You roll a dice. And uh, it, what's, what's going to happen? Is there ever going to be a 21 that is rolled? If you're rolling a 20-sided dice, there's no possibility of rolling a 21. But because he, in his mind... He says, well, my system says there can be a 21 because we could visualize it. You could visualize this 20-sided dice rolling, and then there's a 21 on top. And you say, see, it can. A 20-sided dice can roll a 21 because we could think about it in our mind. But the reality is that although you could envision it, it's impossible for a 20-sided dice to roll a 20." One, You might be able to try to paint a 21 on it or something, but that's not what we're talking about here. A 20-sided dice, even though we can imagine a 21 being rolled, there's no possibility of a 21 being rolled, even though you could imagine it in your head. And so he takes his model and he says, well, of course we could eat something different. Not according to your model. There is zero possibility that I'm eating anything different for lunch than what's been internally known in God's mind. It's not a possibility. So this language is is it confusion. He's, he's speaking confusion. His model has no internal consistency.
1: God knows every single possible scenario in which you could eat lunch this afternoon and knows which one you are going to pick and what you're going to eat. There's only one scenario in
0: your system. There is only one scenario in your system. There's only one
1: possibility. And not only does he know that for you, he knows that for all people. He knows every scenario and every possibility of every moment and every second of every day of the history of the world, what has been and what...
0: If something has 0% probability, it's not a possibility. It's not possible. Possible means it can happen. If it has a 0% likelihood of happening, it's not a possibility. Whatever ever will
1: be, God knows every possible scenario of things that could happen. When you set out on I-40 heading west, God knows every possible scenario of
0: the roads in which... So think about all this emotional language. He thinks by repeating it over and over again, it's going to make it true. He thinks by expounding on it in some sort of uh, philosophical, uh, you know, like overture where it's like, oh, we think about this, you're driving around. All those things, all those things are known by God. All the possibilities. If you turn left, God would know that. If you turn right... What kind of information is he actually communicating to his audience? Information that's of value. He's not. He's expounding on this concept that he's failed to establish. God, in Hebrews, uh, sees the world. Nothing's hidden from God's sight. He goes to eternal, ungenerated, unfalsifiable knowledge of all things, plus all possibilities. Where are you getting that from? Where are you getting from that from? It was real funny in my discussion in Soteriology 101 about the zero percent possibility means it's impossible. Someone turned to the Bible and they say, look, look, uh, God in the Bible thinks there's different possibilities. And I responded, I'm like, yeah, that proves open theism is true based on everything we've been talking about so far. It's so funny. Like Calvinists will do that too. They'll say, look over here, God predestined something. Look over here, it looks like uh, our free will is is uh, doing something, therefore compatibilism. It can't be. It can't be that uh, those are uh, internally conflicting ideas that don't work out and you're just misreading your determinism versus it can't be that. It must be that these two things are logically, logically, they fit together because I have a proof text here that says something and a proof text here that says something. Also, I, it can't be the possibility that the Bible is just wrong and just making things up. If the Bi- Bible is just chock full of these contradictions, it's probably not a good Bible. It's probably something that uh, we need to reconsider rather than just saying, Oh, over here, God knows possibilities. Oh, over here in Hebrews, it says that God watches the world. Therefore, he has ungenerated, non-discursive knowledge. It's unfalsifiable of all things, meaning there's a 0% chance that we're going to do anything other than what God eternally knows. But also look over here and he knows possibilities. Therefore, he knows both possibilities of things that can happen. And he knows infalsifiably, infallibly what I will eat for lunch tomorrow.
1: This this is, it's, it's madness. It's madness. I'm telling you, ah, you could take and understands them all effortlessly and then knows which ones you are going to take. His knowledge is just completely distinct in its scope. He knows uh, all things specifically. He even knows Foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God, which is just mind-blowing. If you think about that for like 30 minutes this afternoon, you'll just kill yourself. You don't have the ability to like (laughs) comprehend everything that God has in store. It will just completely kill you trying to think about that. Um, God knows the future. He's outside of time. Many theologians would say that God created time. So notice
0: the mutually exclusive nature of those two claims, that God has foreknowledge, But God is also outside of time. And so uh, Bavink writes about this in his systematic theology. He's a Calvinist, and he states that God doesn't predestine things. God doesn't foreknow things. God doesn't have foreknowledge because with him, there's no distinctions in time. So we would be technically incorrect to talk about the foreknowledge or predestination or anything that's tensed in relation to God. They're mutually contradictory statements. And this guy makes them. Uh, seconds apart he'll say two contradictory things seconds apart but go ahead
1: god stands outside of it and in it that god has the ability to look at time and to know time from an outside external perspective which will just completely blow your mind isaiah would say the same thing in isaiah 46 verse 9 and 10 he would say remember the former things of old for i am god and there is no other i am god and there is none like me by the way declaring the end from the beginning I can tell you what's going to happen at the end from the very beginning. How what's the mechanism? Maybe maybe the context tells us the
0: mechanism or or we I guess I guess a better way to do bible is just assume the mechanism in in the sermon that you're doing to show God's mechanism. So this sermon's about God's mechanism of knowing things. It's eternal, ungenerated, non-discursive, unfalsifiable knowledge and uh you you would I guess you just assume it into the verses. You'll read a verse and then you'll assume the mechanism. Where, where do you get it from the verse? Does the context, does the context of your proof text in Isaiah, does it does it give a mechanism? Maybe, maybe we should consult our, our omniscient uh, proof text list again because the next sentence, I'm pretty sure says that God knows it because God does it. God knows things that he's going to do. Fantastic. And so God can know what he's planning that doesn't seem outside the stretch of reasonability, and uh, there's nothing in context. The talking about non-discursive, eternal, ungenerated foreknowledge of all things—it's ah, sometimes the doublespeak. It kind of gets to me a little bit. That this the intellectual laziness this that that is shown by a lot of these preachers. That they they want to prove something, and they do not have a proof text. So they'll just grab any random proof text and just assume their audience then sees them grabbing a proof text from the Bible and then going on a big long rant. And the audience then walks away with the impression that the Bible is actually teaching what these guys say just because just because A.W. Pink is terrible at this where he just throws in verse allusions in the middle of long rambling rants about nothing where, where the proof text that he's alluding to has nothing to do with what he's trying to claim it does. The audience will walk away with the impression that the Bible is actually teaching this. Whereas any bit of basic scrutiny can disprove these claims. It is Proof text is, is bad
1: proof text. A proof text needs to actually prove something rather than nothing. And from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Yep, there we go. God's like, I know it all. God's because I'm going to do it. it
0: he knows it all. He can tell you everything. And again, in context, uh, go back to the Isaiah debate. God doesn't declare things in secret. God declares things to people such that those people are going to know that God's the one doing it when it comes about. This is discursive. God is uh, interacting with people and doing things for reasons. Doing things for reasons is discursive. And this is not all things that ever happen. God only declares what he's going to do per the context of his proof text, God declares what He's going to do to people. God doesn't sit there and say, "Well, on uh you know January of uh, 2020, there's going to be uh, a little bit of snowflakes going on there, and then there's going to be a little bit of slush that uh, is uh, generated by a car that drives by and it's going to kind of splatter somewhere." He's, he's not sitting around and telling individuals, human beings. All things that ever happen in minute detail, there's going to be electron, it's going to be at this coordinate grid, and then it's going to be at this coordinate grid, circling around that. It doesn't happen. God's not declaring all things. This is specifically context limited to the major things that God's going to do. It's not all things from all eternity. The context refutes his claims. It's so funny. That's why I picked to debate Isaiah in the latest debate, because Isaiah... Is an open theist. He debates and talks like an open theist. He's proving to people God can do some things, which Calvinists and maybe this guy, maybe this guy as well, doesn't believe it. They don't believe that God can do some things. If unless, unless God meticulously either controls or knows all things in the future, God is apparently powerless in their mindset. Ah, oh, it, it's so bad. It's so bad. But let's let's keep playing. Uh, we're We've only got like, we're only like
1: four minutes since we started this podcast. And it's going to happen, everything that will happen. He can declare the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that have not yet happened. How? Yet. I like to think of God and his foreknowledge and the ability to, to think and to do things and to operate. I like to think of God as the ultimate multitasker. Uh, anybody here in the room? Of-
0: multitasking. I thought you said his knowledge was not discursive. He doesn't have discursive one thought over another. What's this multitasking thing? It should be unitasking where where God's ungenerated eternal knowledge that's identical to his being from all eternity from sources not outside himself that's one simple eternal act. Go read your systematic theologies that you're quoting. God's knowledge is part of this timeless simple act that's not not discursive it doesn't have parts god doesn't multitask it's one simple act in classical theology not in the bible of course the bible doesn't talk like this god does multitask in the bible and sometimes sometimes god even delegates like to the angels but we'll finish out this point and then uh we'll we'll cut this all up and we'll we'll post this and that that'll be good for now because we're we're like
1: i don't know 35 40 minutes in already a multitasker, raise your hand. Real, uh, How many of you proudly are not a multitasker? You can own it. Uh, I fall into that category. I cannot multitask any audience engagement. That's a good thing. It uh, gets
0: the people to interact and identify with you. I uh, like Scott Adams when he does his podcast. He asks everyone to do the simultaneous sip. It's a, it's a mental trick for getting people on your side and and getting a vested interest. Oh, now he's talking to me, even though you know, I was at a, a Taylor Swift concert. So I, I brought my daughter there and uh, it was for free. So I didn't, I didn't give Taylor Swift any money or anything. And uh, we had free tickets and uh, Taylor Swift, what she did is she, she gave everyone these like little bracelets and that they, they all lit up and she, she's out there and she, she knows how to entertain a crowd. So she, she has definite uh, it's social skills. She has definite crowd skills she she knows what she's doing she's a talented performer she knows how to manipulate the audience as she's talking to the audience she's like i wanted each one of you guys to have this little light up bracelet so that so i could see all of you even those in the the far we're in like some major stadium even those in the far back bleachers i want to be able to see you it's like so she's speaking to us personally oh well, wow. oh taylor swift uh, She's a good entertainer. She, she knows what she's doing. She knows how to manipulate the audience. But that's what this guy's doing here. He's the Taylor Swift. Uh, how many of you guys do this thing that's pretty common? Oh, that's half the audience. Oh, how about not do that thing? Oh, that's the other half of the audience, right? It can't be those who those who left their hands down. Those are the other half. We'll get those guys to raise their hands too. I, I just think it's funny. Sometimes it's fun to watch how people... Uh, preach how how people address crowds their their psychological manipulation you could call it manipulation you could call it their socialization their 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 speech making ability their charisma uh, this guy does seem to have some charisma he seems to connect with his audience I, I do I do like it they're, they're good strategies and even though they are manipulation you know not all manipulation is bad manipulation
1: um, my wife she criticizes me for being in ethan land you know ethan world where it's like one thing and only one thing that i can do at a time but you better believe that one thing i do it well i do it and if you and if you were that one thing you got a hundred percent of me in that moment all right you got all of i can't multitask to save my life my wife she's very different she can multitask and she can do a lot of things some of you think that you're multitaskers and you're not all right and like and you're Your spouse should just tell you that you're not a multitasker to help you with that. I like to think of God, I like to think of God not just as um, a multitasker. I like to think of God as an omnitasker. He not only can do multiple things at the same time, he does all things at the same time. I mean, it just blows my mind. Have you ever had this thought before? I've had this thought before. Like when I'm praying, and I'm praying to God, and I'm like... Yeah, he, he believes that God does
0: everything in one simple, eternal life. I don't know if this guy believes it, but that's classical theology. He should believe it because he just told us God is outside of time. And so God doesn't actually really do things. God is uh, indistinguishable from nothingness in, in this system where God's outside of time. God's just a facet of the universe. And it's like the laws of physics. The laws of physics are always there and and uh, t- like input, output. They'll always be what they are. And God's actions and activities will always be what they are. They're just a facet of the universe. It's not like in his view, God has volition. God's not a person. God can't do things. God can't choose to do something different than he eternally knew that he would do. Will Duffy's debate, I like that idea that uh, if there's a rainstorm, can God make one more raindrop than God had eternally knew that he would? In their system, God can not. God's just a facet of the universe and as, is as much subject to fate
1: as all of us. How do I know that God is listening to me? God could be listening to Jacob. God could be listening to Alex. God could be listening to Ty or Hillary or Ashley. Or How, does, how do I know that God is listening to me? If he's listening to me, how can he hear her prayer or his prayer? And it's like, and if, can God do that for two people? Can God do that for like a hundred? Could He do that for a whole church? Because I know our church is praying like at all sorts of different times during the week. What if we're praying at the same time? What if the whole world is praying at the same time? How does he do, how does God do that? How does he? Here's 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 the amazing thing about God's knowledge and the way that God has the ability to understand all things. God hears every single thing that you are saying and every single person that is saying anything at the same time, and not just what you are praying, but what you're not praying and what you're thinking. And He does it for every single for a few billion people, all at the exact same time, without any effort. All right, so we're gonna stop
0: there, but we're gonna finish out his point, what he's talking about, that God apparently uh, just instantly knows your prayer. There's there's no discursive reasoning about that uh, but what is what does Paul say now Paul is an open theist. we have a, a part one podcast on Paul being an open theist we need to we need to fish out all the rest of Paul's work but uh, that's a that's a whole project but we'll we'll look at uh, how does God know the things that we don't ask for the Bible we it's not guesswork we, we don't have to guess what's going on here uh, Paul does describe this. This is in Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Spirit is interceding and intercession is to God, uh, arguing on our behalf to God. This is discursive, by the way. This is not timeless, eternal knowledge. This is interaction. This is discursion. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the spirit is because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So again, in Paul's theology, God searches to know. He searches hearts and he knows what the mind of the spirit is. Why? Why? Because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God right? The character. God knows the character of the Spirit and uh, knows what the Spirit is advocating. There's a connection between the two, so the intercession is not null and void. There's actual communication going on in these verses. There's actual interaction. Paul is an open theist. He rejects this guy's understanding of God's knowledge being non-discursive, ungenerated, eternal, and God being outside of time, all from this one passage anyways we're gonna quit there I don't know if I'm gonna follow up on this guy and, and do the rest this was this was cold as well I I hadn't seen all this before so we experienced this together now maybe maybe I'll just finish this off and see if the rest is worth responding to but this guy gets it he understands classical uh concepts of omniscience so he doesn't it uh, doesn't seem that he understands classical concepts of God's simplicity and ineffability and incommunicability Ability or whatever. Uh, he might not know those particular features, but he seems to have done his homework on classical concepts of omniscience. His proof texting was atrocious. His uh, use of the Bible and mu- misuse of the Bible was atrocious. It's atrocious that he didn't understand that God crowdsources information in the Bible, something that he was mocking and making fun of. It happens in the Bible. And this, this happens all the time with these types of people. Oh, God doesn't test to know oh, that we turn to this verse and says God tests to know it it says the phrase and uh it's in a flashback it's like remember that time where God tests to know what was in your heart and so there's no context that's going to override that and be like oh it's it's not like real testing to know what's in your heart whether you would follow my ways or not it's uh, it's you know it's it's not it so it's God doesn't test to know even though the phrase is right there in that verse you don't get anything like that anyways We're going to cut there, uh, chop this all up, and post. post this as our podcast. Any questions or comments, put them down below or start a thread on the God is Open Facebook group. Thank you for listening.